Do you feel stuck and unmotivated? Want to create your dream life but don't know where to begin? If you're interested in improving your relationships, communication skills, or feeling more comfortable in your skin, I can help. Together we can determine what's holding you back from living your best life and help to quiet that negative Nancy residing in your head. If you've been interested in working with a coach who is optimistic and authentic and empowers you to be as well, then schedule your free 30-minute chemistry session today by going to empoweredauthenticity.net. Again, that's empoweredauthenticity.net. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Empowered Authenticity, the podcast. I'm your host, Kelly Chopa. Oh my goodness, it is getting cold here. In Madison, Wisconsin, it is real cold. Like, I know we're getting to the time where I'm soon going to need to uh, turn on my heat. And that's a bummer because <laughs> I hate doing that for a variety of reasons. Um, number one, it makes everything so damn dry. And number two, it's expensive. And your girl's an entrepreneur. I can't. So I just keep bundling for now until I get to the point where like I have to I have to do something. And like I am grateful because I am surrounded by, you know, other apartments. I have somebody above me, below me, and then uh I have one person on one side of me. Uh my other neighbor decided to leave. Which was rude. Um but, you know, my apartment, you know, maintains its heat pretty well, which is fabulous. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, winter has definitely arrived. And, um, so I'm releasing this, uh, the Saturday after Thanksgiving, and I'm recording the Tuesday before Thanksgiving. And, uh, rightfully so, there are a lot of opinions about Thanksgiving, and we know that the first Thanksgiving was rough to say the least and it was very much um whitewashed in the stories that we were told uh in school and that sucks and the way that we have treated Native Americans is just despicable truly it is despicable and so I, and I feel this way with most holidays, I feel a moral quandary. So I often question, like, should I even celebrate when I think about, you know, all the different holidays and the different rituals? I guess I'm just really cynical. (laughs) I don't love Christmas. I don't love any holidays. I used to really like Thanksgiving because I fucking love food. And then I realized that my family is not actually, like, good cooks. Sorry, not sorry. Your turkey is dry. Actually, I was one of those kids. I don't know, does anybody else do this? Where I was really picky, and so I refused to eat the turkey until they told me it was chicken. And so I was always having, like, Thanksgiving chicken. I was a fucking annoying eater as a kid. Um, but anyways, um, all of that to say that I think we should be practicing gratitude every day. And I try to do that. Um, and I feel like at the very least, 
you know, on Thanksgiving, one of the things that I enjoyed about it was taking the time to recognize all that there was to be thankful for. And that's something that I've really included in my life. And so I encourage everybody to include a little bit of gratitude into their days. And I thought that I would share my practice with you. So every day before I get out of bed and every night before I go to sleep, I make a list in my head of three things that I'm grateful for. And almost always, uh, the first thing that I say is that I'm grateful for my cats, Ridley and Victor. And then the other things can be whatever. And honestly, you know, I've been pretty open about my mental, my mental health. And some days it's hard to find things to be grateful for. And... I know that there are a lot of people going through a lot of shit. And I'm not saying that, oh, if you just think positively, it will all be better. Like, no, no, that's not how this works. Um, but for an example, uh, as many of you know, I spent the first six weeks of 2020 taking care of my dad as he was dying. And that was a hard fucking time. Primarily because I was in Iowa. I mean, nobody really wants to be in Iowa. <laughs> um, real talk, it was hard. It was really hard. Um, I was not sleeping in my bed. I was not getting good sleep. And, you know, it was just a bad situation. It was emotionally, physically, mentally exhausting. And I didn't have a lot that I felt like I could be grateful for. Um... But I was grateful for coffee. Because even now, even on my good days, coffee is sometimes the only thing that gets me out of bed. So that's what I'm saying is like, it doesn't have to be that you're grateful for a promotion. It doesn't have to be that you're grateful for having the most loving partner in the world. Because sometimes those things are just not going to be true. What are little things that you can be grateful for? So let's all do this together. I want everybody to think of one thing that they are grateful for and I will share with you um, after you decide on yours so if you need to pause this if you need to look around go for it for myself my three things that make the list for me today are Victor and Ridley you know I had to do it because I love those little bastards so much um, and especially when it's cold, they want to snuggle all up on me. It makes me extremely happy. Um, I'm grateful because I have managed to keep five plants alive. Five of them. And I'm pretty sure that four of them have somehow magically come back from the dead. Because I had them outside and they were not looking great. But now they seem to be thriving. So I might have zombie plants, um, but I'm grateful for them. And the third thing that I'm grateful for is modern medicine. And I'm grateful for it because even in the midst of all the terrible things that COVID has caused, 
modern medicine has managed to help help people have you know quality of life still so not just living longer but also having that quality intact is a really big deal and I'm grateful for that and again this does not take away from any pain that I feel you know I like many I struggle with the holidays particularly after losing my dad you know it's it's hard and it doesn't ever get easier and I don't think that it's ever going to feel right it's just always going to feel different um and so I can hold space for both of those things to be true that I can be grateful and I can be grieving and that's just the way that it is um but another great thing that you can do is to tell somebody that you're grateful for them that they matter to you um I took some time this week to, you know, tell some people that they matter to me and that I love them. And nobody is ever willing to be mad at you for doing that, for saying, hey, I just want you to know that you matter to me. So that's also something I would like you to do. Pull out your phone, just write a quick text and say, you matter to me. I just want you to know you matter to me and hit send and send it to at least one person because we all need that sometimes and that can really make somebody's day but it not only can it make their day but it also can make your day because when you tell somebody that you are sharing something special oh Anyway, I hope that if you do celebrate Thanksgiving that you are enjoying time, um, you know, by yourself, with loved ones. Um, I hope that wherever you are, you can find a little bit of gratitude. And, um, yeah. Oh, and that means that we're closer to Christmas. Ah, fuck. (laughs) I don't want to talk about Christmas. So, instead I'm going to tell you about this week's guest. Um, I also want to let you all know that uh, this week during our interview, um, you may hear some kind of weird stuff happening with the audio. Hopefully it shouldn't be too bad. Um, You know, I'm still learning and uh, I don't have like a grand mixologist here to pour me drinks or mix my beats. Um, (laughs) So uh, I'm working with what I've got. But um, anyways... My guest today, I was so excited to invite her on um, because I am extremely curious about hypnosis and hypnotherapy and past life regression. Um, Those are all things that really fascinate me. And I'm also extremely ignorant on the topic. I don't know. I've not had a lot of exposure to it. So I wanted to learn more. And my guest today really helped to break it down for me. Um, She also made me want to be hypnotized even more. Um, And uh, yeah, it's really exciting. So our guest today is the founder of Virtus Hypnotherapy. She is a board certified master hypnotist and a clinical hypnotherapist. Please welcome to the podcast, Allison K. Loney. 
Welcome, Allison. I'm so happy to have you on the podcast. <laughs> Thank you so much for inviting me, Kelly. I'm so excited to be here. I am thrilled to have you. Um, so I'd like you to tell us a little bit about the work that you do. Yeah, so I am a clinical hypnotherapist. And what that means is I work with clients therapeutically while they're under hypnosis. And uh, it's something that addresses almost anything that you can think of. If it's cognitive, hypnosis can address it. So I have been very curious myself about trying hypnosis, um, but I don't know a lot about it. And so that's why I was so excited to have you on today. Um, so if you could, can you give us a little background about how you got started as a hypnotherapist? Yeah, so I think that my story is is probably in line with a lot of people who are in my in my work. Certainly, I, I had an experience with hypnosis. And when you have a really positive experience that yields change with a really great hypnotherapist, it's pretty undeniable and pretty hard to not want to study it. And that was the case with me. I was doing a job actually where I was doing a lot of public speaking and a lot of presenting. I actually had two different career. I had a career move. So I had one career where I was doing a lot of presenting. I was actually working for a big fortune 500 company and I would go into boardrooms and I would, I would, I would talk to people. And then my, my other job was a lot of training and meeting new people all the time and, and talking to big groups. So I really wanted to hone my public speaking skills. And I thought, well, you know, I'm pretty good, but let's try this hypnosis thing. I mean, that, that sounds like it could be interesting. And I'm, I'm really open. I love experience. So it really worked. You know, there's no one who's really not nervous about public speaking. I think it's that and rejection are the number one and two fears we have as humans. So I just wanted to go out there with confidence and be the best I could be. And yes, hypnosis was that thing for me. It just sort of took it next level. And I walked away from that thinking, I need to study this. I had for many years studied different things about human nature and the subconscious mind. And after the, that experience, I, I took my studies further. I formalized my studies. I went back to school and uh, decided to first become a master hypnotist and then a clinical hypnotherapist so I could just share my experience with others and, and really aid others in living you know the optimal lives that they could live i am like i said i am very ignorant um regarding all things hypnosis so and, and i know this is going to be a hard question to kind of sum up but can you kind of give us a, a layman's overview over about how hypnosis works you know what? I'm going to simplify it for you because it's actually, I've had to do this because it can be a really broad question, but essentially what hypnosis does to the recipient is it allows their critical faculty to just step aside. And when I say critical faculty, what I mean is if you imagine a model of the brain, there's your conscious action and thought, and that makes up about 5% of your, your cognitive uh, movements throughout your day. And then if you imagine between that conscious thought, there's sort of a layer 
um, called the critical faculty, and we'll call it the gatekeeper. It, it, it's what allows information into your subconscious or disallows it. So your, and your subconscious makes up about 95% of, of everything else. So all your autonomic system, you know, obviously it regulates your breathing, your, all your physical attributes that you don't think about, your walking, your talking, your everything else. Um, and the critical faculty is, is sort of something we develop after the age of six. And what happens is everything modeled to us at a very young age sort of is established in our subconscious, our values, our belief systems. And after the age of six, you develop this critical faculty that will allow things in to your subconscious that align with what's already in there. And everything else, it kind of disallows and teflons off. So what I do as a, as a hypnotherapist I, is I, I, I use protocols which sort of move that critical faculty aside, allow it to dissipate. So what I'm saying and what we're working on can actually be direct into your subconscious. And that's where real change is made. It sounds like paving the way for like a rewiring and like that neuroplasticity. Is that kind of absolutely. the same thing? It, absolutely. And you know, there's a lot we can do to change our neuroplasticity. There is a lot we can do consciously and every day. But with hypnosis, when you're using when you're using technique that really speaks to someone on a subconscious level, that's that's direct and it's quicker always. So, you know, there's there's a few ways into the subconscious. There's through sleep or there's hypnosis. So uh, changing neuroplasticity certainly is is a lot quicker when you're doing it directly with the with subconscious patterns. Repetition is another way like re repeated action, of course changes neuroplasticity but it takes a lot longer to change things with conscious repetition than it does with just hypnosis directly it, well the critical faculty is not there the, the gatekeeper is not there to say no i'm not going to listen to what you're saying that doesn't align with what i already know so i'm going to just disregard that it's not there to do that so what you're what you're taking in you're really taking it at a subconscious level and okay, so I think that for most of us, our introduction to hypnosis of any kind is kind of like seeing like the cartoons with the swinging pendulum <laughs> and like the, oh, what do you call those? Like the spinning vortex and the you are getting very sleepy. Is that really what it's like or how does it actually work? Like if I were coming in and going to have a session, what would it look like and feel like for me? So I, those techniques can work. Absolutely. They could, they're a bit cliche and, and, you know, and of course you're right. Everyone sort of thinks of the stage hypnosis techniques. Uh, if you came in for therapeutic hy hypnosis with me, uh, your very first time, if you'd never had an experience being hypnotized, the first thing I have to do is really manage people's expectations. And one of them is what you just said. Is it going to be this? Am I going to be under someone's control? Are you going to make me do things I don't want to do? All those things come up. And that ties back into everything we've learned from childhood. You mentioned it in cartoons. We hear it in music. They talk about being hypnotized. We see maybe something on TV. Uh, it's, so I manage those expectations. I don't have control over clients. They're in full control. I am their guide 
to put them in the state where their critical faculty does step aside and then we work together. Uh, so what it would look like your very first time if you've never experienced hypnosis, I would probably do a really progressive relaxation with you where we get your body sort of in a state of really, really in a very relaxed state, we'll say that. And so it, the rest of it comes very naturally when I just, when I do the induction and, and you kind of get into that different zone. And it just feels really good. You feel really relaxed. Some people think that you won't remember anything. That can be true if someone's in a very deep state, but typically it's interactive and they do remember everything and they're aware of the surroundings, but they're just in an incredibly hyper-focused state, which is also a state we don't get into that much in our lives. We don't either have the time for it or we don't really have the tools to get there. And with hypnosis, um, how is being in a, a hypnotized state uh, different from being in like a really relaxed kind of meditative state uh, or like sleep? It, it, does it all come down to that, the cognitive faculty? The critical faculty, yes. Um, meditation can, you can be in a deep meditative state, which is, which is really good for you. Uh, so it's just a question of different brain brain waves. You're in a, actually a lower brain wave with with hypnosis. It just takes you a little bit deeper. Um, and the I, we keep, keep calling it the critical faculty. We'll just call it the gatekeeper, just for people out there who so they can sort of get a good visual on it. Really, that gatekeeper stepping aside is is what's paramount to getting a, a really good result because if you imagine everything you learn sort of in childhood it stays with you everything in your subconscious so if you have patterns in your behavior or in your feelings or things that aren't working in your everyday life it's likely that it's something you learned in childhood and what's happening is your subconscious mind works like a computer just scanning everything in the background to pick and choose what aligns with what is already in in part of the pattern. So that's all it's doing. And if something's not working for you and you wanna change it, you might not even be aware of what the pattern is. Most people aren't. But with hypnosis, when that sort of gatekeeper steps aside and you have direct access, you can, you can change those patterns at a really, really deep level. So they just dissipate and are gone. And what you do is you walk out and you sort of find you're not having those automatic behaviors, those automatic responses, whether they be emotional or uh, physical responses to things that, that aren't serving you, that aren't allowing you to really, really live optimally. Uh, that's, what, that's what we wanna do. We wanna just change those patterns that aren't serving you. And we need, we need the gatekeeper to step aside to do that. So that's sort of the difference between meditation and actual hypnosis is really a direct line to the subconscious. I, I imagine it's different for everybody, but kind of in general, how many sessions do people uh, do for hypnotherapy? So it's a great question and it really depends on what they come in to work on. Um, fears and phobias, for instance, usually I can clear those up in one session. 
people are shocked. They'll come in and they, they'll put their fear at a 10. And when they leave, they, they can't really even quantify it. It might, I don't know, maybe 0.5. They don't, because it's gone and they don't remember what the feeling was like to fear it. One session, one and done. My smoking cessation is, is a one session as well. It's a longer session, but it's one session. Now, if someone came in and wanted to work on weight management, for instance, um, that, that can be, depending on why they're doing what they're doing, what their patterns are, that can be a 6, 10, 12 session, something that they need to commit to. So what I do is on a first meeting with someone, I will we'll talk about what they want to do, what they want to change, what, what things look like for them, and I'll typically give them uh, an estimate how many sessions I think it will be depending on what they're working on but certainly they will see feel better right away and they will start seeing incremental change right away so with this with with hypnosis I, I mean you're kind of like like I know we use the term uh rewiring and, and tapping into that neuroplasticity is there is there a chance that people once they've gone through hypnosis you know maybe they feel they feel great for a while is there a potential for them to be triggered back into old habits or like a relapse? Certainly, if we have cleared up an old trigger, that usually is gone, it doesn't happen again. But life comes at us every day and we form new associations, we form new triggers with things. So it there sometimes are new things that, so I guess the short answer is yes. Again, depending on what you're working on, some things you're more inclined to, have another trigger for other things it's usually something that you can clear up pretty quickly i know you kind of touched on this earlier but is there any danger or side effects to hypnosis can you be like under somebody's control without having any of your own bodily autonomy yeah it's a valid question for people who haven't studied it um the answer is no we we all go out in and out of hypnosis naturally every day. It's part of our a natural cycle of brain waves that we do. And if you can imagine uh, a situation, I'll give you an example, where you're talking to someone at a party and they're talking a lot and they're kind of talking at you rather than with you. And those moments where you kind of your eyes glaze over and you're, you're somewhere else for those moments, that's hypnosis. That's a that's and and you might not know what it feels like because it's usually quite fleeting. But that is when your critical faculty steps aside and you're somewhere else. When you're driving your car, you're in hypnosis where you may arrive somewhere and think, oh, I don't really remember the last few blocks. My body was driving the car, but I wasn't mentally there. You're in hypnosis. So we do go in and out naturally, and you come out naturally. So a hypnotist can't have control over you. I know sometimes. Uh, and I, again, I go back to stage hypnosis because it really does appear like they have control, but it is an illusion. They read, and we, I have to read suggestibility really well, but the more suggestible someone is, the deeper they go into hypnosis and the more they will look like someone has control, but it is ultimately their decision completely. They're in complete control. Your values, your beliefs, everything lives in your subconscious mind and you will not do anything you don't want to do. You won't say anything. I, there's no way I could tell you to do something and you come out of hypnosis and do something that is against your value system. I can make you forget your name. I can do fun things with you and you'll come out and not be able to remember the number five. You won't be able to remember your name. I can do those things for fun just to sort of demonstrate the power of your subconscious and how 
it can be utilized for great change. However, if in your past, part of your pattern was that you had a trigger about forgetting your name, it would be much more difficult for me to do that. You wouldn't, it would go against what's already there. So you wouldn't do it. So you, you have complete control. That is one of the number one fears people have when they come in is uh, saying something maybe or telling a secret or not remembering and being embarrassed. And that's not the case at all. Yeah, it's that layer of vulnerability. I mean, we're, we are nervous creatures anyways, when it comes to being vulnerable. And so absolutely. Yeah. It's interesting with stage hypnosis, too, because you'll, you'll get a seemingly shy person on stage, and suddenly they're gyrating around a stripper pole in some of these shows, which is amusing. But I will say that on some level, they want to be up there performing, they may be an introvert, but they want to be up there performing, or they wouldn't do it. There's nothing they can be made to do. And you'll notice in shows, too, there's different sort of levels of how people act out and the people that hold back a little it's because that's not that's not comfortable to do too much for them so they won't is everybody able to be hypnotized or are there some folks who are have such a wall built up that they can't get into that state of relaxation so I want to just make this a yes or no question and say yes everyone can be hypnotized but I can't give you that answer unfortunately so what it's a longer answer. So studies show that 10 to 15% of people, the population are highly hypnotizable and the rest sort of, you know, it takes a little more work to get them there. Within that percentage of the population where it takes more work to get them there, it's usually because they have reservations or fears or they don't want to appear too suggestible. So they have some type of resistance to it. If you have no resistance to it, and in terms of therapeutic hypnotherapy, if you have no resistance and you want to come in, you're open to suggestion and you want change, absolutely, you will have the experience of hypnosis. If you come in and you tell me, I don't really believe this, it's my last resort, I'm going to try it. Sometimes I just say no to clients. I say, well, it's not your best option then, because really being open and suggestible is going to really enhance your experience and your results. Now, that all said, I like to think, because my experience is, if you can understand everything I'm saying and you have no cognitive functioning issues, yes, you can be hypnotized as long as you want it. It's a lot to like chew on. <laughs> there, well, I'll give you a little bit more to chew on just out of interest. There, they've done MRI studies on people and what they've found is people who aren't as highly hypnotized, hypnotizable are those whose, the areas of the brain that aren't as fast functioning in certain areas, they're not quite as hypnotizable as those who are uh, considered highly hypnotizable. And I mean, those people who I'll give a one line induction sleep and they're already out there. There's, a, you know, those fall in the 10 to 15% category. Everyone else, you might have to do a little, little more work for it. Um, but certainly I have never had a client come in who was not able to be hypnotized. I haven't had that yet. I imagine that because some people do have such a such a guard up about it that they can think that it's kind of like the placebo effect and like it I am trying to look at things through, you know, that lens of empathy and understanding like oh, you know, somebody people can be more suggestible than others and people who are more suggestible 
are, are likely going to be more able to benefit from hypnosis. So I imagine that adds another layer then of those who are naysayers. Well, it's interesting with the placebo because studies show that even if something is placebo, it will change your neuroplasticity. So if you come in and, uh, although hypnosis now is measurable with brain scans, but if, if certainly if it was placebo, I'm all for it if it works. <laughs> Oh, absolutely. I, I agree 100%. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I just think it's it's interesting. There are a lot of a lot of critics. And um, yeah, I just think that that's fascinating. And I, yeah. I also think there's so much that we don't yet know about the brain, too, which has to absolutely. be exciting for you. The brain for everyone, including, you know, neuroscientists, it's still there's a lot they don't know. There's huge, a huge area of study that has it. They they just don't know everything about the brain. But once it, once we know more about, you know, with evolution, that's what happens. Then I think at some point and I hope hypnosis will be a lot more mainstream in terms of a therapeutic uh, approach for people. Yeah, I anticipate that as we learn more and we're able to do more studies, that it will become um, much more mainstream and accessible and seen as less like woo-woo. Um, because, yeah, the the evidence is like being built up to support it. Um, so that's yeah. exciting. Yeah, and I take a very science-based approach to it, too. I know there are there are different hypnotherapists that sort of focus on different things. Some people do the past life regression, and, and I have done that, and that comes up for people. And if that's part of their their values and what, what is coming up for them, then it's valid. It's not something I focus on. I know certain people have different uh, types of clients, we'll say. I'm very results-driven, and I like things that are measurable. So I like pain management, smoking cessation seeing old triggers just dissolve and people not having those extreme emotional responses. I like working on anxiety and stress. I'm actually a, a certified stress and anxiety management consultant through the International Medical Dental Hypnotherapy Association. So I like to work with things that are very tangible and, and get results within a certain time frame. Um, and, and also past life regression. I mean, finding so much out about geneolo genealogy, about ancestral things being passed down too so certainly it's all valid but those things are just my focus past life regression is also one that i'm very interested in it's it's on my bucket list um because i'm so curious that kind of brings us to you know a, a good question is if somebody's interested in trying hypnotherapy where where do they start? How do they find somebody who's going to work well with them? And like, what should they be looking for? So that's a, another good question. I think that the first thing is make sure whoever you are interested in working with, uh, first of all, I do a 10 minute free phone cons consult with everyone before I book them. And, and I think that's important to speak to them and, and get their vibe. And because and, not everyone is your client, and not everyone works well together. That's that's a fact. But I would make sure that they are a graduate of an accredited uh, school, first of all, and that they have a certain amount of really of practical experience. If you can get a referral from someone else who's seen them, that's always good. Um, and And talk to them first. 
I, I actually am double board certified and board certification is another thing. If you can find it, it's great because a, a board holds you to certain standards and practices. You have to have graduated from an accredited uh, institution. You must have hundreds of hours of practical in session experience. You have to write an exam and you're also held to a minimum 30 hours a year of external and ongoing study. So that is another good thing to look for if you can if you can get someone board certified and is there like a database that folks can go to i'm thinking kind of like psychology today has you know a, a pretty big database of therapists is there anything like that for the hypnosis realm you, you can go to the international medical dental hypnotherapy association online um and they have a database of North American, primarily North American hypnotherapists who are board cert, a lot of them are board certified, but they have had to have a certain amount of actual practical experience, not just schooling to, to be in there. And if somebody is interested in um, learning more about hypnotherapy, maybe they're interested in becoming a hypnotherapist, what is that process like? I know you brought up a few of the, the requirements, but I'm thinking like, are there degrees in hypnotherapy? Like, can you major and minor in it? Or how does that work? There's no degree that I know of internationally in, in hypnosis, but you can, well, I went to a, a school here in Vancouver where you it was about, an, I was there for about nine months in total. You be a hypnotist first, then I went on, did a master hypnotist and then the clinical hypnosis. And there, if you go online, there are many schools. There's weekend workshops. There's things like that. Um, so it depends if, if you're going if you're going to really open up shop and become one. I, I would suggest doing more research online and really researching the schools. But you can you can Google Google in your area hypnotherapy schools. You can do them online. Um, there's a great run in Toronto, run by Ryan Montes. There's a great one here, Coastal Academy in Vancouver. Um, but you can do them online now. So. It's just about doing the research and reading reviews on and, you know, like any other school. But in terms of a degree, that would be that's a really good. Um, that would be a good adjunct to a psychology degree is I know they study the subconscious, but to study the, the practical sort of administering of hypnosis for the subconscious would be. A really good part of a psychology degree. Uh -huh. I've trained doctors for it. I've trained doctors. There's a lot of psychiatrists who study hypnosis too to use um, in in therapy. Oh, counselors. I mean, people use it as an adjunct. I I like to focus on that. I and I would also add in that if you're seeing a a clinical hypnotherapist for the first time, I would look for someone who just focuses on that rather than someone who's advertising I'm a counselor and I use some hypnosis because those two actually don't they're not the best together. It, it's not great to focus on a problem and talk about it and then do some hypnosis. Hypnosis is all about just dissipating a problem. It's not, it, it, you don't want to linger on it. So I would say, look for someone whose focus is clinical hypnosis. Would you say that hypnosis can be used in conjunction with um, like standard counseling? Uh, in I, a particular way? Well, I, I know some people who do it and they do it successfully. Um, so I would never say no. I think that 
it, it's great for people in all sort of modalities of healing to be able to work with the subconscious. And the counseling part of it, I think, would have to be at the forefront of the session. And then you'd always have to end with hypnosis. You wouldn't want to start with it and then start dredging up people's issues and talking about it and then send them on their way. That would be counterproductive to what you've done. So there is a little bit of a disconnect between the two. Talk therapy, traditional talk therapy, really deals with the conscious mind. And clinical mm -hmm. hypnosis just works directly with the subconscious mind. They're two very different animals. So <laughs> it's uh, as much as I want to say, yes, everyone learn about hypnosis. It's, I think it would be more difficult not to focus. I think people, counselors who do both, one, they would have to almost do clients. They would have their clients that they, they do traditional talk therapy, and then they would have their clients they focus on hypnosis with. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense because it's it's kind of like I could I could imagine it being used in a way where, you know, you go to a counselor and you say, oh, I have, you know, for myself, I, I have OCD. And so like this presents for me in these ways. And so then I imagine that once they get kind of feel, then that's where hypnosis could come into play of kind of, you know, getting into that state and helping to kind of rewire that pathway. Um, yeah. Yeah. Then you don't want to bring it up again and again and then kind of lead to that retriggering. That's right. I mean, once you work on a problem and they feel good, you don't want to take them back and revisit the problem. And, and that's in the past tense for them, um, because what you're doing is you're just so, so solidifying again that neural pathway that that they loop back to. And you want to break that loop. Yeah, absolutely. That makes total sense. Well, Allison, it has been so great to have you. I really appreciate you coming on and enlightening me. Um, you've been so wonderful. And I would like to give you the opportunity. Where can uh, the listeners follow you and support your work? Oh, yeah. So I'm online. My website is vertushypnotherapy.com. And that's V-I-R-T-U-S. Um, on Instagram, under the same name, at Virtus Hypnotherapy. On Facebook as well. I do have a YouTube channel, and that's just where I freestyle tips, tricks. I actually am certified with um, reading people and also body language, so I do throw some of that in. It's very, for me, it's it's a really great adjunct for my work. So there's some of that in there too. So I'm on YouTube under the same name, Virtus Hypnotherapy, V-I-R-T-U-S. Um, phone number, WhatsApp is on the website, and again, I do a, a free. 10 minute consult call with anyone if they're interested in booking an appointment. And if anyone wants to just send me a question, I, I answer lots of them and I, I get back to people usually within 48 hours. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Allison. I appreciate it. I feel like I understand so much more than when we started this conversation, which is the entire goal. So I really appreciate you coming on. Goal achieved. Well, thank you, Kelly, for the invite. I really appreciate it. And I hope that you actually get to experience hypnosis. It's on my bucket list. I want to so badly because I, I, I mean, I'm kind of like a mindfulness gratitude nerd and I'm always trying to learn more about myself. And uh, yeah, I, that's one of those experiences that I really want to have. So that and the past life regression, I, it, it really intrigues me. Well, get ready to feel good because that's what's going to happen. Oh, gosh, I love feeling good. <laughs> <laughs>
for listening to Empowered Authenticity, the podcast. Please make sure you rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you like more content from Empowered Authenticity, make sure to follow on Instagram at empowered underscore authenticity. We'll see you next week. If you or someone you know is an angsty feminist like me, and they literally want to wear their feminism on their sleeve, then you have got to check out Feminist Trash Store. Feminist Trash is founded on the belief that intersectional feminism and sustainability go hand in hand. They specialize in size-inclusive unisex apparel with hand-lettered designs by artist and founder Joanna. Each t-shirt is printed with biodegradable, water-based ink and carefully made to order to minimize waste and ethically reduce any environmental impact. Their eco-friendly and 100% vegan t-shirts are designed to embody the meaningful conversations feminists are having in pursuit of a more empathetic and inclusive future. They want people expressing themselves in the ways that feel most sincere to them, without the perpetual silencing of preconceived racial stereotypes, sexual rigidity, and body shaming. Feminist Trash is committed to increased visibility for intersectional feminism. They're leveraging the power of community and sustainable fashion practices to mobilize a growing platform of diverse voices of intersectional feminist artists and independent feminist media creators from around the world. At Feminist Trash, they are committed to feminism that centers intersectionality, mutual aid, and actively pushes back against patriarchal, white supremacist oppression. That's why they've created Mutual Aid Mondays, where every Monday their profits will be distributed to a different mutual aid or community organization that upholds feminist, anti-racist, and queer inclusionary foundations. They source products and fabrics from ethical brands and suppliers who comply to labor, environmental, and safety standards. Go to feministtrash.com and enter code Kelly Shopa, that's K-E-L-L-Y-S-H-O-P-P-A, at checkout to receive 20% off your order. And start wearing your feminism on your sleeve.